do not attempt to adjust the settings on your device. The sounds you hear are not hallucinations. You have entered the mind of someone that has a taste for the macabre, the strange, the unusual, and the morbid. Don't be shy. Step inside, warm up your mug, and enjoy your visit into the world that is the Nightcap. Greetings to everyone out there in the land of morbid fantasy and illusion, and welcome to the Boo Pod Network. I hope everyone is enjoying their holiday season so far, and wish everyone happy upcoming holidays such as Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, and Christmas. Whatever your tradition, the Boo Pod Network wants you all to have a great season with as little family squabbling and drama as possible, so eat drink and be merry folks and let us entertain you with very special segments from myself the skylark bell and paranormal exposed we figured why should halloween get all the attention when there are plenty of spooky stories that revolve around thanksgiving and december holidays these classic traditions go back hundreds of years and have changed how they are celebrated many times but some things remain the same around this time of year such as hauntings and other forms of paranormal events the gift of giving does not keep the spirits away and in some ways can bring back old memories and have been known to jumpstart ectoplasmic infestations. While yours truly believes in science and is a skeptic at heart, I will play devil's advocate delving into the highly debated world of ghosts, poltergeists, specters, and demonic presence for your listening pleasure. My time observing how people die and the manner in which they die has left me with mixed feelings. On one hand, I understand that death is death, but on the other hand, I understand how energy can change. I'm a firm believer that all beings, including myself, are governed by energy. But why is it that some energy seems to possess objects and cause all manner of disturbances and disruptions in people's lives? Some humans swear that right after they receive certain objects, that their lives are forever changed and infiltrated by an unknown force. It meddles with their children, their work, their activities, and the things they enjoy doing. Some objects have even been the site of where someone was killed, murdered, or died of natural causes. One such encounter is lesser known, but in the holiday tradition and collaboration spirit, this will be two parts. The tale of the Merit Carriage and the world's top five strange and deadly object haunts. Get comfortable, and let's begin. Mothers are usually very thoughtful when it comes to getting something practical for their granddaughter or grandson. But how is an antique carriage anything but a bit unnerving? Enter Whitney Merritt of Brandon, Mississippi, who should have seen the immediate red flags when it was from a friend or a friend who gave it to her from another friend, then given to her mom to give to her. That is more regifting than a rice cooker and bread maker combined. When Christmas came and went, it sat by the tree for a few days, being nothing more than a piece of vintage furniture. That is 
until the knocking came. As Whitney and her husband slept soundly around midnight, there came a knocking so loud that they thought it was someone pounding on their door. This didn't start happening until the beginning of the new year, which makes you wonder if the spirit inhabiting the carriage was biding its time and gaining strength. I think someone's at the front door, Whitney said to her husband before turning on the porch light. When she opened it, no one was there. And then about the third or fourth night was when we started hearing a boom, boom, boom in the attic. At first, they simply wrote it off. The home was built in 1992. Maybe it was just settling in. But soon the sounds above their living room became so frequent that they could no longer be ignored. So one weekend, in the middle of the night, Michael went into the attic carrying a shotgun and a flashlight, expecting to find someone up there. They made a lot of noise during that week with people around the neighborhood staring and stepping outside to find out what the commotion was. However crazy they seemed, the next week would be far worse. It started when Whitney awoke from a dead sleep to what can only be described as a loud bang, to which she sat upright in bed with fright. She figured maybe the dogs had crashed into something or broke a window. Grabbing her handgun from the nightstand, she proceeded to survey her home. After looking around cautiously, she discovered that there was nothing, not a trace of damage or of an intruder. Placing her firearm back where she got it, she climbed back into bed and went to sleep, but was clearly shaken. The next morning, she went into her kitchen and discovered something very puzzling. A bag that contained two coffee mugs were broken inside of a TJ Maxx bag. What made her raise an eyebrow was that the mugs were sitting upright and not on their side or in a position to fall over onto any surface. There were no earthquakes and there was no disturbance that would cause these mugs to break. Now visibly upset, but still not thinking of anything paranormal, she cleaned up the mess and proceeded with her day. The next night, another bang. It was around 3.30 in the morning. Whitney rushed into the kitchen to find another bag on the floor. Inside was another shattered mug. This time, shards of glass had come out of the bag, and so Whitney began sweeping it up. After putting the glass into the trash can, Whitney started walking back to her bedroom. That's when she heard the sound of someone dropping silverware into the sink. The scary part is, she did the dishes that night, and there was no silverware to be found laying outside of the drawer. The last week of spooky events that occurred seemed to revolve around her children. The dream catcher and lamp in her daughter's room fell to the floor multiple times. After investigating it the second time they fell, Whitney and Michael were walking back to their bedroom when the bathroom door slammed behind them. At first they thought maybe one of their children had gone to use the bathroom, but the light never came on. Trying to rationalize it in every way they could, they tried closing the door to see if there was a gap any suction when it was wide open or anything off at all, but nothing was found. The door didn't budge. The next day, the family was in the living room when one of the children's toy cars started playing music repeatedly. When they checked it, the toy's power switch was turned off. Later that evening, Whitney went to wake up Michael for work. As he got ready, Whitney began to sweep the living room. As she swept, she saw her husband walk into the kitchen to fix himself some coffee. She says she asked him a question which she ignored, so she asked it again. Still no answer. Frustrated, she walked into the kitchen but found no one there. She went into her bedroom to find her husband sleeping. Frantic, she woke him up and explained what happened. 
Michael thought it may have been someone who broke in and managed to get away the minute he heard his wife calling to him, but there would have been evidence of his presence and she would have surely heard him leaving. This left the couple rattled. Then came the final straw, and it occurred the day after Whitney says she saw someone walk into their kitchen. She had gone to get groceries at the Kroger on Spillway Circle with her daughter. Her four-year-old was at their grandparents, and her seven-year-old was at school. Michael was the only one home. Whitney said it was around 12.30 when Michael called her and asked if their son, Paxton, was home. She told him that he was at school. When Whitney and her daughter got home, Michael explained the call. He said that he was in bed when he heard the front door close. Then he heard Paxton's door close. Then he began hearing knocking on the walls. He called Paxton's name five or six times, but there was no answer. That's when he got up and walked into his son's room. Paxton's bedroom light was on, his Xbox was on, and a bottle of water was actively dripping on the floor. After telling his story, they had a discussion about all the strange occurrences at their home and when they had begun. It was at this moment that their gaze went to the gift they had received from Whitney's mother, the antique baby carriage. They immediately put it outside of their home. Since then, everything has been normal. No more knocking, no more footsteps in the attic, and no more ghostly doubles. Whitney did say that she eventually received more backstory on the carriage from her mother, who told her that the owner's husband had been killed in a motorcycle accident on the Natchez Trace a year ago. She believes that it's possible that that's who she saw walk past her in the kitchen. As of this writing, the carriage sits on Facebook Marketplace for $65 with the caption that it is definitely haunted. No buyers have touched it thus far, and for good reason. Now the holidays are seen as a joyous time of year, but if you thought this could be the only haunted gift one could receive, then you'd be sorely mistaken. Here's a look at some other objects that may or may not be tainted or cursed, but just the same, err on the side of caution. In Jewish folklore, this object is known to harbor a spirit that takes over bodies and uses them for evil intentions, and legend has it, this special box is used to confine the spirit, or more appropriately, demon, from causing harm. That is, until some hapless fool opens it. A Dybbuk box, as it's called, came up for sale on eBay just recently. The seller listed a vintage wine cabinet that came from the estate of a woman who survived a World War II concentration camp. The seller, an antique dealer named Kevin Manis, claimed that the first owner's granddaughter was terrified of the box, warning him that her grandmother said it held a Dybbuk. After buying the cabinet, he was plagued by a series of unfortunate events and recurring nightmares of an old hag that would brutally attack him, causing him to wake up with bruises on his body. He also experienced an overpowering stench of cat urine in his home. Tragically, his mother suffered a stroke while opening the box. Not surprisingly, he decided to get rid of it. The box eventually ended up in the hands of Missouri Medical Museum director Jason Haxton, who was skeptical about the powers attributed to the box. 
He soon changed his mind, however, after acquiring the box, he began to experience a series of medical maladies, including bleeding eyes and strange rashes. He also began to dream of being attacked by an old hag, and would also awake with bruises on his body. Kevin Manis stated that while the box was in Haxton's basement, a man died there, and his body was found lying next to the box. He eventually became so unnerved by the box that he reached out to scientists and rabbis, who instructed him to build a wooden ark lined with 24 karat gold, place the box inside, and bury it in the ground. The box was opened during the time that it was owned by Jason Haxton. He retrieved it from the burial site, and when he opened it, he found the contents were intact. There was a dried rose, two coins from the 1920s, a small gold kiddish wine goblet, two locks of hair, an octopus-legged candlestick holder called a Shabbat, and an engraving of the word Shalom, which means peace in Hebrew. When Kevin opened the box, the lights in the building started to flash. Strange sounds were heard, and strangest of all, Kevin turned to face a wall, and he got a very weird expression on his face. His voice changed, and he started to recite a story about a shadow man. He then started speaking in tongues and making bizarre whistling sounds. He was sweating profusely and began to cough uncontrollably. Zach Baggins, who owned the Haunted Museum and hosts the show Ghost Hunters, purchased the box from Jason Haxton placing it on display. Those under the age of 18 are not allowed near it, and those that are, are required to sign a waiver before being near it. Those that have approached it report seeing a shadowy figure, fainting, feeling dizzy and sick, and even one of his tour guides had her face shoved into the case where the box is by an unknown force. One of Zach's personal accounts with the box occurred in 2018 with Post Malone, both hearing the unmistakable sound of a little girl's voice. Moments later, Zack had the strong urge to remove the protective case from the box, almost whispering in his ear maliciously. After a very tense moment, Zack touched the box. He began to panic and to scream, cry, and hyperventilate. Concerned, Post reached out and touched his shoulder. When he did, he felt something pass through his body. When they left the museum, Post saw a dark shadow figure that so many people had encountered follow them out. The next day, he sent a photo of a mysterious bruise that appeared on his arm. After his visit, he was involved in an emergency landing in his private jet. His car was involved in an accident, and armed robbers targeted a home in San Francisco that they believed to be his. Zack believed this to be a curse of the entity inside the box. Zack almost opened the Dybbuk box on his show, but decided not to due to his own experience with it, and it was reportedly affecting the entire crew of the show, even being in such close proximity of it. In the end, the production aired, but viewers were not treated to the horrors that may lay inside. The box remains on display at the Haunted Museum, where it is regularly seen by the thousands of visitors who come to experience it every month. In reality, skepticism should be practiced here, and stories this old should be taken with an old world grain of salt. But, if you believe in the afterlife, and the concept of good and evil, then keep these containers sealed shut.
The origins of the next object are unknown, but this was purchased by Zach Baggins in 2019, who was told that it was passed on to the Glatzel family in the 1950s up until the 1980s when tragedy befell them. The horror of the Devil's Rocking Chair began in July 1980 when 11-year-old David Glatzel became possessed by a demon. One night, he woke up screaming, claiming that he had been visited by a man with big black eyes, a thin face with animal features, jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hooves. David was not the kind of kid who liked scary movies or who was likely to make things up, and he was visibly shaken by his experience. He became withdrawn and quiet. His older sister, Debbie, asked her fiancé, Arne Johnson, if he would stay with her family for a while and see whether it would help David get out of his depression. Things didn't get any better, and David reported more nightmares about the terrifying man who promised to take his soul. Odd scratches and bruises began to appear on the boy, and all the injuries seemed to happen while he was asleep. Odd sounds, which Arne couldn't explain, were heard in the attic. Worst of all, David began to claim that he was now seeing the beast while he was awake. He was also seen sitting in the family's rocking chair, which the beast now claimed as his own. David, and later Lorraine Warren, was the only one who saw the beast in the chair, but family members often saw it rocking back and forth, seemingly under its own power. The family first brought over a priest to bless the house. This didn't help, and in fact, reportedly made things worse. The sounds of the attic got louder, David's visions increased, and he began to hiss at his family and speak with multiple voices. He started to quote from Paradise Lost, a book that most 11-year-olds aren't exactly familiar with. During the night, someone had to stay up and watch David, who woke every 30 minutes, sometimes having seizures. Desperate for help, the Glatzels called Ed and Lorraine Warren, who began making regular visits to their home, bringing more priests with them, and performing exorcisms. Many of those exorcisms took place while David was seated in the rocking chair. The chair itself moved about the house on its own, mysteriously disappearing and reappearing in different places. Most incredibly, it levitated on numerous occasions in full view of witnesses, including the Warrens, clergy members, and shocked family members. It happened once while David was sitting in it during an exorcism. After a final exorcism, the demon left David. He soon began to show signs of improvement. However, Arne Johnson was not so lucky. Apparently, the demon left David and entered him. He started making the same kind of growls and hisses that David had made, as well as slipping into trances for a period of months before killing his landlord, Alan Bono, with a five-inch pocket knife, stabbing the man over and over as Debbie watched. Bono died a few hours later in the hospital, and Johnson was picked up by the police two miles from the murder scene. Eight months later, Johnson appeared in court with a plan to enter a plea of not guilty due to demonic possession. For the first time in American legal history, demonic possession was used as a reason for murder. It didn't work. Judge Robert Callahan refused to accept the plea since there was no evidence to show that Johnson was possessed and Johnson went to prison for his crime. He was found guilty of first-degree manslaughter and received a 10 to 20-year sentence, only serving five. Arne and Debbie married after he was released. After the events, the rocking chair remained in storage. When the Glatzel family later moved, it went with them. However, over time, it became apparent that there was something very wrong with the chair. 
Whoever sat in the chair, whether innocently or because they knew its strange history, were suddenly stricken with incapacitating sciatica or abnormal back problems. Some were so bad that they required surgery with one close family member unable to walk upright more than 10 years after testing the legend of the chair. Today, it sits in Zack's museum behind a protective case, and when it arrived, he got his own taste of the chair with windows randomly slamming shut, lights coming on and off, and creating a lot of tension between the staff and the room where the chair resides. Even the mover who delivered it was plagued by nightmares shortly after dropping it off. Who knows what kind of auras revolve around objects like this, but if there's a demonic presence, maybe find another way to get comfy. A final object owned by Zach Baggins, titled The Hands Resist Him, is his painting of a photograph of Bill Stoneham, whose father was in advertising and did a lot of traveling. His family was staying at his grandmother's apartment in Chicago to save money. The place was so small that Bill had to sleep on a mat in a closet filled with coats and dresses. He regularly played with a little girl from the neighborhood, and one day, his parents had both kids pose in front of a glass door for a photo. They couldn't have known that, two decades later, Stoneham would turn the ordinary photograph into a terrifying painting that has become the stuff of internet legend. In 1972, Bill's first wife, Rowan, wrote a poem called Hands Resist Him. It was about Bill's experience of being adopted and never knowing his biological siblings. At the time, the couple lived in California, and Bill was under contract with art gallery owner Charles Fiengarden to produce two paintings each month for a fee of $200 each. With his next deadline approaching, he used his wife's poem and the old photo of himself with the neighborhood girl as inspiration. Stoneham called the painting The Hands Resist Him, and he turned it over to Charles Fingarden for a large gallery show in 1974. At the show, the painting was purchased by actor John Marley, most famous for his role as the movie producer in The Godfather, who wakes up with a severed horse's head in his bed. The gallery show also led to the painting's first press mention when it was reviewed by noted art critic Henry Seldes. And then things got strange. Between 1978 and 1984, three of the men closest to the painting died. Seldes in 78, Fingarden in 81, and Marley in 84. The painting disappeared from public view after Marley's death, and it would be another 26 years before Bill Stoneham heard about his painting again. He would later find out that it had been abandoned behind a California brewery that was turned into an art space. In 2000, the painting resurfaced on a listing on eBay. The family selling it had a chilling story to tell. Their kids claimed that the boy and the doll in the painting were fighting and coming into their room at night, so a camera was set up to show them that there was nothing to be afraid of and they were just imagining things. Instead, what the footage showed made their hearts stop. The boy from the painting crawled out. Shortly thereafter, he quickly put the painting up on eBay with a disclaimer. However, these details proved to be a huge draw for buyers, and the eBay listing was viewed more than 30,000 times. Some of these viewers even complained to the seller about experiencing supernatural occurrences after merely visiting the listing. They claimed to hear voices in their homes. Others said that they became ill after viewing the painting. Another claimed to have blacked out. 
By the time the painting was sold to gallery owner Kim Smith for $1,025, its legend had spread across the internet. Today, the painting is in storage at Smith's Gallery in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He has been asked to see the painting only a handful of times over the years, but still receives messages each week from people who are terrified by it. If you have an iron will and do not fear the supernatural, you can get in touch with Kim Smith to view it. But just keep in mind that it is only a painting. <laughs> Maybe. Few haunted objects rarely spark dread, more so than the very infamous Robert the Doll, which had been a birthday present for Robert Eugene Otto, and the young boy loved it. It was given to him by his grandfather, who bought it while on a trip to Germany in 1904. Dressed in one of Eugene's sailor suits, the doll became his favorite toy. He took it everywhere and began calling it Robert after himself. Soon, things became a little strange. The stories say that the Autos and their servants would often hear Gene in his bedroom having conversations with himself in two different voices. On many occasions, the family was awakened in the middle of the night by Gene's screams, only to find the frightened boy in bed, surrounded by overturned furniture and scattered toys. Gene claimed that it was Robert who had messed up the room. When things moved about the house and when toys were broken or lost, Gene always stated that Robert did it. And while his parents didn't quite believe the boy, they were unnerved by the strange events and bothered by stories told by the servants of hearing small footsteps and laughter in the house when it should have been empty. People who passed by the auto house at 534 Eaton Street in Key West, Florida, even claimed to see the doll staring out the window at them. When Gene left home to study art, Robert was moved to the attic where he remained for many years. In 1930, Jean married Annette Parker in Paris, and after his parents passed away, he moved back to the auto home in Key West. He retrieved Robert from the attic and returned him to his old turret room on the second floor, which he turned into his studio. There are many tales in Key West about Annette's disdain for the doll. Conflicting rumors are still told, some alleging that she died from insanity after locking Robert back in the attic, while others claim that Jean died with Robert at his side. What we do know is that Jean passed away in 1974 and his wife died two years later. Robert stayed with the house when it was sold to Myrtle Reuter, who owned it for the next two decades. Those who passed by the house always saw Robert looking out of the second floor turret room window. Today, Jean's former residence operates as a bed and breakfast called the Artist House, and visitors can even stay in the old turret room. Robert the Doll now resides at the Fort East Martello Museum, safely locked away in a glass box that has been outfitted with alarms. Those who come to see him are warned to be careful. It is said that curses will befall those who take photographs of Robert without asking his permission first. While this seems hard to believe, the walls near his glass case are covered with letters from scores of visitors and non-believers writing to beg for Robert's forgiveness and asking him to remove the bad luck that he placed on them because of their carelessness. You know, I'd be comfortable enough to take a picture of Robert without asking him if I could. But then again, he wouldn't want my curse any more than I would want his, so we'd be at a crossroads. Sounds like an evil game of cat and mouse to me. Uh... 
Among some of the most nefarious haunted objects in paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren's now closed museum of possessed items sits a doll that has been the subject of movies and morbid imagination. It has been said this is the most ethereally infested doll in the world, and its history remains a bit of a mystery. I am, of course, talking about Annabelle. According to the Warrens, Annabelle was given to a nursing student named Donna by her mother in 1970. Within days, Donna and her roommate noticed that the doll appeared to change positions when no one was looking. When it began to show up in different rooms of the house, seemingly under its own power, they decided to get help. A psychic told them that the doll was possessed by the spirit of Annabelle Higgins, a little girl who had died under mysterious circumstances. The spirit apparently claimed that she only wanted to be loved. Feeling sorry for her, Donna and her roommate gave Annabelle permission to remain with the doll. Some other unsettling occurrences from the doll included it leaving notes. According to a story told by Ed and Lorraine Warren, Donna claimed that she would come home to find penciled messages written in childlike writing on parchment paper. The messages read, Help us, and help Lou. Lou being Angie's fiancé, who'd been staying with them. What made the messages even more strange was that Donna did not have parchment paper in the apartment and had no idea where it came from. Lou had also claimed to be in a dead sleep one night and woke up to find Annabelle at his feet. Suddenly, it glided towards his face and started to strangle him, causing him to black out. He woke up in the morning convinced that what he had experienced was not night terrors or sleep paralysis, but that the doll had tried to kill him. On a later occasion, Lou and Angie were studying maps to prepare for a trip Lou was embarking on the next day when they heard rustling noises coming from Donna's room. Lou approached the closed door and waited for the noises to stop before entering. He turned on the light and saw Annabelle laying on the floor in a corner. He walked over to the doll, but as he did, he began to sense that someone was behind him. He spun around, but no one was there. In an instant, he found himself doubled over, grabbing his chest, which was now bleeding. Upon inspection, he discovered seven claw-like scratches on his chest that were hot like burns. The scratches healed rapidly and were fully gone in two days. A short time later though, whatever inhabited the doll attacked a friend of Donna's and they contacted a priest. The priest contacted the Warrens, who declared that Annabelle Higgins was not a spirit but a demonic entity posing as the little girl. The doll ended up with them, and it was locked away in the museum for safekeeping. Since then, she has been blamed for a number of fatal and near-fatal accidents involving those who doubt the spirit's power. As time went on, the doll caused people to experience innate sadness and a sense of woe when they came near it and it was reportedly responsible for the death of one visitor while on display at the Warren's Occult Museum after he taunted the doll to scratch him. Soon after, he died in a motorcycle accident, and his girlfriend was hospitalized for a year. Today, the movie version of the doll travels the country during Halloween, safely behind glass of course, and the real Annabelle doll is still in the safe confines of the Warren's Museum, waiting for someone to let her out. In some way, you have to feel sorry for the vengeful entities that make their residence in these inanimate objects. But by the same token, maybe they should finally set free to do what they've always wanted to do. Cause havoc 
and set the world ablaze in a sinister bath of flame. <laughs> <laughs> And so ends our combined tales of the diabolical manifestations that continue to rule the fragile minds of the human condition. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed narrating. Thank you so much for tuning into our segments and finalizing your journey with mine. This also marks the end of Season 2, and I will begin Season 3 in the spring with an all-new voyage into uncharted waters that you will not want to miss. Be sure to follow us all on Instagram, and be sure to like, subscribe, and if you're so inclined, drop us some coin on Ko-Fi to say thanks. Links will be in the podcast description. We sincerely appreciate all of our listeners, and strive in continuing to give you the best material that we can find. Until next time, be safe, and stay curious. Thank you.